Well, let me add my voice. Congratulations, class of 2020. We are so excited for you. Uh, Virtual hugs, high fives, and emojis all around from me. Um, Sorry, I didn't get to text in, but um, each and every week there is just a real fondness in my heart. Just going back later and looking at the stream and how you're continuing to love and encourage one another, that's a real blessing. Um, During this really recent season, it's become obvious that many of us are finding more joy in the little things as our rhythms have been disrupted. We've been finding um, our joy in things that we maybe not would have given our attention to before. So at the Rogers house, that is um, pursuing, uh, putting together puzzles. So, and by the Rogers, I mean Jen specifically. Uh, I think she's done uh, probably 17 and a half puzzles. She's probably got one on the table right now that she's working through. And they've been anything from, you know, Broadway musicals to 80s scenes to, uh, you know, all of these other kinds of works of literature. And um, every once in a while, like, I'll just kind of sit down beside her and she'll let me work on a little piece of the puzzle. And most of the ones that we've done have been, um, like, small scenes of, like uh, one movie would have like little books that you could put together that kind of tell the story. And so it's a picture within a picture. And so I'm pretty good at maybe like focusing in on one of those little things and she takes care of all the rest. Um, But this is something that we found that we enjoy. And um, this morning we're going to look at the book of Revelation and we're going to look at chapter one. And most people consider the book of Revelation to be a puzzle, to be a mystery. And um, most people think that it's about, you know, kind of unlocking the code to the end of the world and maybe what it looks like to be the Antichrist and who that might be and what the mark of the beast might be if we're all going to get uh, scanned at the supermarket like a jar of mayonnaise one day. Um, But really, when you pull everything back, I mean, a lot of people miss the forest for the trees. I'm not saying there's not some things that teach us about the second return of the second coming of Christ. But what the book of Revelation ultimately is, is this bigger view that we get of Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's written to a group of people who desperately need a bigger picture of him. And I, I, I could think of no better place for us to turn this morning. We need a picture of Jesus that is bigger than the circumstances that we are walking through. And in the Gospels, we get this picture of Jesus who is meek and mild, and he comes along suffering people, and he heals the blind, and he makes the lame to walk. And in the book of Revelation, we get this picture of the resurrected Jesus who is reigning in glory, who's reigning over the chaos of the world, and he's reigning over the chaos that exists in his own people's heart. And he wants us to be able to live in security under this reality that he's ruling and reigning on planet earth. The book of Revelation is an invitation for us to see Jesus as heaven's champion, and it's meant to speak to us where we are today. We're not meant to live in fear and isolation and captive to the latest news cycle, but God's inviting us into a song and into a scene that's going on in heaven right now that's meant to bring peace to whatever we are walking through. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6, and we're going to focus in on this doxology. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace 
from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that right now that there would be a tangible sense of peace and love and freedom that permeates all that are listening. I pray that you help us by the power of your Spirit to glimpse Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead, and that picture would make a real difference how we live out our lives today and for the rest of the week. I pray that you would bring tangible relief to those that are suffering. I pray that you would fan into flame the gift of faith that you've given to your people that are flourishing right now. And I pray that you help all of us to represent you as a kingdom of priests on the earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, Lee did an outstanding job just reminding us of the, the beauty of doxologies. And a doxology is this short piece of worship and theology that comes together for real people in real circumstances that need real relief, right? And so um, this particular doxology is no different. It's for a group of people who are absolutely under it. They are being crushed. I mean, they are being thrown into prison. They are being persecuted. Many of the Christians are being killed for sport at the Colosseum. Emperor Nero would light Christians on fire to kind of illuminate his garden parties. And so there's, there's a real sense that this group of people needed a picture of Jesus that was bigger than what they were walking. So they were undergoing persecution, but they, they also were um, being bombarded by false teachers. I mean, these false teachers were so bad that they would make TV preachers today blush. I mean, these guys were absolutely crazy. And what was going on inside the churches were even crazier. And just like us, many of them were growing tired and weary, and they felt their hearts growing cold. And the antidote for all of these things is a bigger picture and experience of Jesus. For us not just to survive, but to thrive over the next several months, we have to have a view and an experience of Jesus that absolutely transcends whatever we're walking through. It must be bigger, and our picture and experience of Jesus must swallow up what we're walking through. We're meant to walk in the victory that he has already won for us. And to do that, it means that we need to trust him in the details, right? Because just like the original recipients of this letter, many of our lives feel like they are in chaos at the moment. But we can trust the one that's ruling and reigning over planet Earth, that he's ruling and reigning over our lives. And we can trust him that he's using even these small details that we're walking through each and every day to conform us to the image of his son, but also so that we display that image of Jesus as a picture of hope to all of the world. Now, that brings me to kind of my first transformational principle I think we can learn from doxologies 
in general and Revelation chapter 1 is that we become like who or what we worship, right? You know this to be true. So if we worship money, the things that we think about are going to be related to money. Our peace is going to be tied to the amount of money that we have in the bank. Um, you don't have to have a lot of money to be focused on money, but you, you just become. Those, those become the things that you check in the morning, whether it's your news or your Dave Ramsey feed or whatever. Like we can worship money, you know, and some people worship success and they're willing to do anything and work all kinds of crazy hours because what's driving them is this picture of success. I'll use this. This is a little probably more relatable. Um, a lot of people have on social media recently have been talking about the most influential albums um, that have kind of made their musical genres kind of take shape. And for me, um, the very first album that I ever listened to was Michael Jackson Thriller. So I don't know if I have any, anybody can get an amen out there, but Billy Jean beat it, you know, and the title track Thriller. I mean, this is, you know, this is third grade Chad just rocking out. I, I remember um, I, I was basically doing a sleepover and staying up and waiting till right before midnight, because right before midnight, they would play Michael Jackson's Thriller uh, before MTV went off the air. It actually went off the air at midnight, right? So, and I actually used to play videos, and if you've never seen that, you should look it up on YouTube. It was an awesome season. But um, I also, third grade Chad had a pair of parachute pants. I don't know if you know what those are, but uh, I taught myself how to moonwalk, not by going to YouTube, but there was a magazine article that I tore out. And um, I've been known from time to time to break out the moonwalk at a, at a um, wedding. So it's still a go-to move. We become like who or what we worship, right? And if that's true for trivial things like music or inconsequential things like money, how much more as we begin to worship Jesus, we begin to look like him. And so that brings me to my next point. Jesus's work empowers us to walk in love and freedom. Look at the second part of verse five. This is the one we're worshiping. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So who we're worshiping is one who loves us and one who has freed us. Now, I want us to kind of visualize what this could look like. So I think we have a slide for this. This is how worship actually changes us. This verse these, this, the part of this verse reveals who Jesus is, and it reveals by implication who we are. Who Jesus is, is the lover and the liberator of our lives and of our souls. Jesus loves us, and he has freed us. That's who he is. So by implication, who we are, as the people of God, are loved and freed, right? Now, um, my friend Scotty Smith, now he's not a personal friend, but I feel like he's a mentor, has, has often said that we're not as free as the Father intends us to be. And so we want to spend some time unpacking what does it look like for us to begin to walk in freedom. Now, You've you got to notice kind of the verb tenses that are going on here. It's his love that leads us to freedom. 
the, the ver- it's to the one who loves us. It's a present, continuous, ongoing action. This is something that's taken place in the past that's happened when Jesus came into the world to give his life as a ransom for us. He loves us, and that's an ongoing, continuous action. That does not change based on our behavior. That does not change based on our performance. That does not change based on our fear. That does not change based on our faith. His love Love is wonderfully perfect and it is ours. So think about this for a moment that Jesus loves you right now the same amount that he did when he laid down his life on the cross. As the nails were going through his wrists, he loves you in that same way at this moment. That love is an ongoing, continuous action. But then notice his love is more than sentimentality. It's not that he's just going to love us and kind of pat us on the back and kind of keep us maybe until we make it to be with him one day. His love actually leads to freedom. And freedom is spoken of in verse 5 as an accomplished fact. To the one who loves us and has freed us. That's a past action. It has already been accomplished. Now, this is the difference between Um, really believing that we're free or we might be free one day. It's the difference between sitting in a prison cell of our own guilt and our own shame and our own condemnation that comes from the enemy or the sins that cling so closely, bad behaviors that have attached themselves to us and just sitting in that knowing that we might be free one day and walking out of the prison because Jesus has already set us free. This is not just a a wishful thinking or something that we will experience one day. This is a theological reality. It is done. It is finished. Jesus came to set the captives free. Now, listen, you can take that too far and people can kind of say, okay, well, does that mean that we're not ever going to struggle? That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is most people that I interact with, we don't take this seriously enough. That Jesus actually wants us to walk in freedom. That we actually actually died to sin with Jesus on the cross, and now we get to actually be slaves to righteousness. So we're learning to walk in the status of freedom that God has already given us. And I believe, um, just as I was praying this morning, God gave me a picture from the book of Exodus where the children of Israel were crying out in their slavery. And it says that God was attentive to their cries. And so if you are anything like me and you have pockets where you are not as free as God intends you to be, we can cry out to him today knowing that he hears us because of what Jesus has already accomplished on our behalf. Listen to this quote from Pete Hughes in his book, All Things New. Some of us have a theology of the cross that's big enough to forgive sin, but too small to restore creation. Big enough to cover the offense, but too small to repair the damage. Big enough to pardon the crime, but too small to transform the criminal. 
But the good news of the cross is that Jesus has more than just forgiven sins. He's overcome all that would stand in opposition to his kingdom purposes to restore all things. So what I want us all to come into fresh contact with this morning is that the cross has set us free by the blood of the lamb, that we can actually walk in freedom. And God also spoke to me this week. What if this time of constriction, where we don't have the normal freedoms that we would want to enjoy, where we can't do the things that we want to, or even the things sometimes that we think we should be doing. What about if God brought this season of constriction so that we could actually walk in more freedom? What if he brought this season so that we could really be free from fear and worry and anxiety and our addictions that cause us such harm? Now, I'm not just talking about the, the manifestations. And this is what it's looked like because um, I, I felt like God's been inviting me into this personally. It's, it's the stuff that's underneath. You know, It's not just that we're afraid, but the fear usually says something about, our relationship with God, and it usually says something about how we view ourselves. We don't view him as the one who's loved us and freed us. We think we need to secure our own love and our own freedom. He wants to continue to kind of get below the surface. And so this week, on two separate occasions, as I was just praying for God to do a deep work in me in this season... Um, he brought back things that I thought that I had worked through. And uh, in one situation, um, it was jealousy. And I had to go to uh, a brother and confess that and just say, hey, listen, I've been withholding affection from you because I'm jealous of you. And although that felt like death in the moment, it actually brought freedom. And I was able to see that like, what was going on in my own heart had nothing to do with that individual. And then there's other, you know, there's other situations that, that bring back just my trust structures in God. Do I really believe that he's at work in my story? And I'm in that season of life where I'm having to die to my ideal version of what I think life should be and fall in love with reality and love people where they are. And, and I just sense God bringing a, a lot of freedom, but it doesn't initially feel like freedom. So in this season, he wants to not just address the circumstances of your fear, but he wants to get underneath your fear and reveal a God that loves you and has set you free. So as we begin to worship him, when we worship Jesus, it exposes our hearts to the healing power of the cross. As we worship Jesus, it exposes our hearts to the healing power of the cross. And that's what he has for us. So in the midst of all of the distractions and all the chaos, we can come back to the cross and know that he wants to heal us and to set us free. And as we begin to sing this song of freedom, it's something that I think our city needs more of. And the church is meant to lead the way as those that have been set free by the love of Jesus. Now I want to move on to uh, my next point. Jesus commissions us to live as a kingdom of priests. Jesus commissions us to live as a kingdom of priests. As we worship Jesus and we begin to experience this freedom, he actually leads us into the lives of other people so they could experience that kind of freedom. Look at verse 6. 
And he made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, there's two ideas here that I think really are one idea, both the idea of being a kingdom and an idea of being priests. I like how the NLT translates this. It makes us a kingdom of priests. And what this gets at is we, the priesthood of all believers, Right? And this, this kind of cuts down the sacred, secular divide that so many of us feel as though maybe somehow that I'm a priest and everyone else in the church are just members. No, what this says is we are a kingdom of priests. And, and priests have two very specific functions that we're meant to walk in. And they have to go together. Priests represent God to people through love and service and people to God through prayer and intercession. So, and they have a reciprocal relationship. The more that we pray for people, the more that we intercede for people, the more we will want to love and serve them. And the more that we love and serve people, the more that we're going to want to um, bring them before the Father. So let's just look at these briefly. God has designed us to be his priests. So first let's talk about representing people to God through prayer and intercession. The greatest kindness that we can give to another person is to bring them before the Father. This is not a throwaway kind of thing that we do before the service. This is not this is something that must anchor us as the people of God. John 15 says that apart from him we can't do anything. We can't produce fruit in anyone's life, but as we abide in Jesus, um, he causes us to bear much fruit. So I just have this deepening conviction that God's inviting us um, during this season in particular to recenter our lives and recenter our church on prayer. That, that really, like, if we don't do anything else in this, it's to grow deeper in our communion and in our intercession. And that's why we had a prayer meeting on Thursday evening. That's not just because that's something that churches should do. It's because we're making a statement to ourselves and we're making our, a statement to God that we actually need him, that apart from him, we can't do anything. But as we represent people to God in prayer and intercession, God fuels our hearts for them. And then we have this wonderful privilege that we get to represent God to people through our love and service. I mean, this is mind-blowing that the God of the universe uses cracked pots and cracked vessels like us through our human weakness, through our love to show his love. Like that should absolutely amaze us and humble us. That through our needing to offer forgiveness to people and receive people, um, receive forgiveness from people, that that demonstrates the gospel. Like that God actually uses human weakness to display his power. So uh, being a kingdom of priests means that God is commissioning all of us to be priests inside of our homes and priests in our workplaces and priests in our city. That everywhere that we go, we get to represent the kingdom of God. And that's an amazing privilege because people are longing to know and experience the peace and the love and the freedom of the king that we get to worship on a daily basis. So I want to just kind of close with this picture, I think, that brings it home from the life of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa uh, 
near the end of her life, was hosting a reporter from the UK. And basically, the, the reporter was following her around and watching her as she was caring for the poor and the needy and the sick and the dying. And Mother Teresa came across one particularly destitute case where there was a man who was near death, so much so that he was just left in the slums and maggots were actually eating at his body. And she basically brought him back to um, the convent so that he could receive treatment. And basically the reporter began to chastise Mother Teresa saying, listen, like what you're doing is an absolute waste of time. Like that's a lost case, a lost cause. You could be out there caring for someone else that's in need. And she said that her mission was to provide dignity to people, whether in life or even at the point of death. And this kind of changed everything for the reporter because he began to ask the man that was dying kind of what his experience was. And he said, all my life I've lived as a dog, but today I die as a king. She spent her life giving dignity to people. That's our privilege and our call as the priesthood of all believers to restore the dignity of the image of God so we remember people that other people forget. We try to allow Jesus' love to flow through us, to bind up the brokenhearted. We walk with those that are struggling and addicted, and we remind them that God has a vision and a purpose for them, that we are a kingdom of priests, that what God has done for us in setting us free, He wants to do for other people. So I'm going to close in prayer, but I just want to offer this King to you today. If you've never trusted this King for freedom and forgiveness. The offer is to simply receive him as your king and begin to live in this, that he actually laid down his life for you. You can live in the good of that and you can trust him. So I'm going to pray. And if, if you want to believe in Jesus, you can pray along with me. You could pray something like this. Jesus, I know that you're the king that laid down his life I want to receive that life into all the things that are dead in my life. I want to experience the love and the freedom that you have promised by giving up your life on the cross. I now trust you with who I am and I ask you to receive me into this kingdom so that I can follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're now going to transition to a time of continuing to worship God through communion. So I'm going to invite Trenton up, and he's going to just help us to apply this to the reality of, of the kingdom.